contradicting verses. This is where I wanted to go two weeks ago. We took two weeks to take a detour into addressing some hardship and difficulty sermons. And if you weren't here for those or missed them, I would encourage you to go back and listen. I think they will help you. I think they will encourage your heart. I think they will lift you up. But this morning, we're going to look at contradicting verses. Are we complete or are we in process? And so, have you ever read a verse like 2 Corinthians 5.17? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And I'm going to warn you, I warned you last week, we are going to be like, put your seatbelt on, we're going to be blazing through a lot of verses today. So get your, like, get ready, Okay. So 2 Corinthians 5.17, a few chapters back, you read that. We're new, we're done, there's this new creation, the old's gone. Then you go to 2 Corinthians 3.18, and it says, To all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Now these verses can be confusing when you compare them to one another. The contrast between them can leave them, leave us wondering when we read them, am I new or am I in process? Am I complete? Am I whole? Or is there some sort of process that's going on to get me to completeness and wholeness? And that's not an easy question to answer. So when wrestling with a question like this, we tend to work to an e- toward an either-or-or or solution. It's got to be one or the other. In this case, we're trying to work toward, am I new or am I in process? Is there a process going on that's growing me and maturing me? As people, we want proof that the answer we have is the correct one. So we'll look at our lives and our experience to sort of affirm for us which option would be the most valid, which seems to be the most valid. So we're going to work toward, am I new or am I in process? And we're going to work toward one or other and try to figure out which one's right so we can put a stamp and go, that's the one that is right. So what happens is when most of us give ourselves to Jesus in salvation, there's this dramatic, there isn't this dramatic change that happens. It's not just like, oh, now there's stories of those dramatic changes, right? Like, I came to Jesus and my drug addiction went away. I came to Jesus and, and I had this major issue with whatever, and it was fixed. Alcohol, addictions, healings, whatever. But that doesn't seem to be the norm, at least in my experience. A lot of people are like, I came to Jesus and there was some, some change. It was small, but it was, there was a change. But it wasn't this, like, grandiose, like, oh, I'm changed, Then as the year goes by, the years go by, we continue to have more changes, but they're small. They're, in, they're just kind of tiny little steps. And we, this thing called the Christian walk feels like a slog. Like when it's rained a lot here and you're wearing the muck boots and you're like, right? You're trying to go through that dirt and it just, man, it's real slow and I'm not getting very far very fast. And although many of us would say that we're better than we were when we first became Christians, the progress is slow, and we don't see much change, and we don't see what we think we should see in our lives. 
And then we look at others around us. And we go, I don't think they're having much process or growth either. I don't think they're getting very far down the track either. And so their, their experience seems to be a lot like mine. And so there's such an overwhelming evidence. How could we make any conclusion that we're new? We must be in process. There's no way that there's a change that's happened. I, no, I'm still trying to get somewhere. I'm still trying to process this out and figure it out. So that, that must be, and that's what everybody else looks like is going on there. And see, the thing that's crazy is, truth be told, the people who've had the dramatic change at the beginning, they end up having the same determination as well. Because after that dramatic change, the, change that happens, the changes that follow tend to be small, incremental, not very big. They had the big one, but then they had these small little ones. And it, be, it can be almost more disheartening to have this big change and then all these little, little changes along the way. And so they end up in the same slog as everyone else. And you know what? Many pastors, teachers, theologians arrive at the same cl- conclusion whether they're aware of it or not. For much of the same reasons everyone else is. They determine that the only thing that makes sense is that we are in process and there is no way to validate that we are new. No way to validate that we are new. Are you depressed? (laughs) See, this creates a real problem, though, because it's picking one verse of Scripture over and against another, saying this one is true and that one is not. And that won't work. Either all of Scripture is true or all of it is not. See, we can't do what Thomas Jefferson did. Thomas Jefferson went through and cut out things that he didn't agree with and didn't like. And so there's this Thomas Jefferson Bible with some missing elements because he exacto knifed it out the things he didn't like. We can't do that. It's either all right or it's not. And so both of these verses must be true. Which means we have a new and better question. Not which one is right, but how are both of these true at the same time? How are both of these true at the same time? And so what has really helped me understand this is the picture of marriage how these potential opposing verses exist. The the picture of marriage has helped me. 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verses such as this one talk about something that's been completed, something that's done. Much like the day my, my wonderful wife and I got married, the day we got married... We weren't going to be any more married than that day. We exchanged our rings. We said our our I do's. We signed the marriage license. And at that moment, we were married. And we couldn't do another thing to be any more married than we already were. Our identity had changed from single to married. What we were was gone What we had become was something new. So how could we be anything other than married? 
Now, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, So all of us who have had that veil removed and can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Verses like this describe a process of change that's happening. And again, using the marriage illustration, my wife and I, we we got married, we entered fully into marriage. We were changed, we were something new, but when we were married, we also began a process of learning how to be married. So we entered in fully married, all the benefits, all the things, we were married, but then we entered a process of learning what it meant to be that be married. And that takes time. It's still going on. (laughs) For 25 years, it's still going on. For us, it's meant growing in our understanding of one another and changing our living to be consistent with that of a married couple. You could say we've been learning to act like what we already are married. Learning to act like what we already are married. See, it would be hypocritical for us to act like we're single. Coming and going where we, wherever we please. Doing whatever only concerns ourselves. Not giving a thought to the other. That would be hypocritical. Because we're now married. Why? Because to act like a single person is to act inconsistent with who we are. That's not how a married person acts. But if our identity as married people was in question, if we thought we were still single or could bounce between singleness and marriedness, then we'd constantly be looking to our process of growth to validate our marriage. So if we camped out on process only to validate our marriage, what would that look like? Well, as a husband, as an example, it's important for me to listen to my wife and hear what she shares with me, validate what she shares with me, try to understand what she's sharing with me. And if she shares something with me and I do a decent job at listening to her, if I'm only looking at process, then my following question to her would be, does that mean we're still married? Or we single now because I didn't do a good job. And every time we make progress or struggle, I'd constantly be following her around going, are we still married? Are we single? Are we still married? Are we single? And she'd be like, would you knock it off already? She'd be much nicer than that, wouldn't you, honey? (laughs) That would get really old really fast, wouldn't it? And see, a relationship like that would have no rest, no peace, no assurance. A relationship like that would be miserable. It'd be full of stress and anxiety, performance pressure. Everything would always be in question. And the bottom line is we'd be left around going, this just is not fun. So just like marriage, there's much that's been completed when we received Jesus and entered into the family of God. And if that's a question for you, talk to me. If you haven't entered into the family, this this isn't, by giving yourself to Jesus, this benefit doesn't exist for you. 
But if you have, it does. And so when you enter into the family, at that moment, you became a person who is changed. Your identity changed. Who you are changed. Listen to it again. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 is such a phenomenal verse. And listen to it in the Amplified. It adds a bunch of extra words to help you get the sense of it. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is grafted in, joined to him by faith as a savior, joined to him by faith in him as savior. He is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. The old junk, all that stuff that came to you because of Adam and Eve, all that stuff was packed up and put with Christ on the cross and buried. And when you, he came out, right, resurrection life, you came out with him and something completely new came out with him. That moral, that old moral spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings new life. This isn't talking about going to heaven someday. This is talking about right now, here today. How about Colossians 1.13? This is out of the Phillips translation. For we must never forget that he rescued us from the power of darkness and reestablished us in the kingdom of his beloved son. That is, in the kingdom of light. For it is by his son alone that we have been redeemed and have had our sins forgiven. We were transferred. We were placed into a new kingdom of his son when we gave our lives to him. We were redeemed and we were forgiven. Those are done things. Those are finished things. How about Colossians 2, 19, 9 through 10? And I love this verse because it starts off, for in him all the fullness of the deity dwelled in bodily form. That's about Jesus. Powerful. And then sandwiched right in the middle is, and in him you have been made complete. Oh, and then by the way, and he is the head over every ruler and authority. It sounds like Jesus has all the power on each side of that to then make you complete. It's an honor and a glory to Jesus to honor and glorify his character, but he has made you complete. In other versions, it said he has made you full. We are complete in Jesus along with many other wonderful things, such as we are a child of God, we are Christ's friend, we are a saint. If you were here the weekend I candidated, we are a temple of God. We are righteous, we are holy. And I could keep going and like not finish the rest of my message, but instead in your, hand, in, in your uh, handouts, and those of you online, I'll mention another option here to get this digitally, is a sheet from a ministry called Freedom in Christ Ministries. And it is who I am in Christ it's a front and a back. If you spent time digging into this, it would change your perspective of who you are as a child of God. 
Those of you online, there's, you can find this on our resources page, or if you want in the room a digital version, we added a resources page this week. Thurston.church slash resources. If that's too confusing, go to Thurston.church. There is a resources tab at the top you can click, click on, and there's this plus some other helpful resources that we'll be adding to over time. So spend some time learning about who you are, what's been completed, what's been done when you entered the family of God. But also like marriage, there is a process of growth in our spiritual walk. And it's the thing that you need to understand here is that process of growth that is in your life is not to change you into something you're not. Did you hear that? It's not to change you into something you're not. It's learning to bring your behavior in line with who you already are. That is so important. Process isn't to make you something you're not. It's to bring your behavior in line with what you've been changed to be. In my marriage relationship, I'm not going through process to try to get married. I'm going through process to learn to be the married that I am. For some of you, that's going to be a, oh, because you've been trying so hard to become something you're not. And that's been the lie. You are. Surprise. I mean, we already saw in 2 Corinthians, uh, Corinthians 3.18 that as we walk with Jesus, we are made more and more like him. Our behavior, our actions, our thinking they come in line with who we've been changed to be. And as that happens, his life begins to express itself through us and we represent the image of him. Because it's him inside of us that's now coming out and living through us. And when we do that, when we live that life, when Jesus' life is expressed through us, you know what? Others around you go, gosh, you look a lot like somebody I've heard about. And you're like, let me tell you. His name is Jesus. And that glory and honor goes to him, and they get to be introduced to somebody that they desperately need to meet. How about Ephesians? I love this verse in the Phillips. Ephesians 4, 22 to 20 through 24 what you learned was that what you learned was to fling off dirty clothes of the old way of living which were rotted through and through with lusts illusions and with yourselves mentally and spiritually remade put on clean fresh clothes of the new life which was made by God's design for righteousness and the holiness which is no illusion now, I use some of these different translations because we get so in the mode of using our own version of Scripture that we just read over it and we go, oh yeah, I know what that says. But reading that has a little different feel to it, doesn't it? It kind of makes it pop. You go, oh wait, there's things I didn't notice there before. What do we learn? We learn that when we, first of all, I mean, very clear here, there's a completed element. He said, when you, were, you yourselves were mentally and spiritually remade, that's done. So we've received that. 
But because you're mentally and spiritually remade, hey, stop wearing the clothes of the old life. Fling them off. Get rid of them. I mean, if you had a job and you had a certain kind of clothes that you wore for that job and then you left that job and went to a new job, you're going to keep wearing the clothes for the old job? Or do you get rid of them because you're at a new job? You get rid of them. Especially if you worked at a, uh, you know, I don't know, I was going to say, you know, a feedlot or something because some, I was trying to think of something stinky, like clothes that just really were nasty, like, like get rid of that. So this idea is you've been remade. Start living into that remadeness like changing clothes. You get rid of things you don't need. Romans 8, 28, 8, 29, And we know that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This verse forever, I used to always read it wrong. I thought every good thing happens for those, you know, <laughs> doesn't say that. It says all things, the good and the bad things in life happen, and they happen with a purpose. They can be used of God because God had a plan for his children. He had a plan that they would be more and more made into the image of his son. How we live and how we act is done in such a way so that it aligns with who we are in Jesus. This is a great way to parent, by the way, especially once your kid becomes a Christian. Because the conversation is, stop doing that so you can become a part of the family. The question is, Johnny, Susie, we don't act like that. And you know why we don't act like that? Because that's not how the Ronkelia family acts. That's not who we are. That's not how we live. We act differently because we are different, not because we're trying to get something we don't have. So how we act, who we are, is aligned with who we are in Jesus. And when we do that, what happens in this scripture, we see that we, people begin to see that we're a part of the family of God. That Jesus, our brother, the firstborn in the line, we are his brothers and sisters, and we look like family. We have a family resemblance. And a lot of time when we don't live that way, we're confusing people about our family of heritage our spiritual family, our connection to Jesus, it's confusing. Because we're not being who we are. So why is all this important? Why is this important? Well, let's apply it. We're going to go through now sort of a practical exercise. Let's take sort of this idea of both of these true at the same time. We're changed, and we're in a process of that changing, changing the way that we live because we're different. Let's now apply it, and let's apply it with something we talk about frequently as Christians. And this might hit a little close to home, so stick with me. Once we become Christians, are we or are we not sinners? Are we or are we not sinners? If process is our only measuring stick, then the first time we sin will determine that we haven't changed. 
and we'll start trying to constantly improve our behavior. We'll try to do better next time with the hopes that we will finally do enough to overcome sinfulness and convince ourselves, convince others, and convince God that we're not sinners. And that requires running it 100% perfect all the time. Are you tired? Are you exhausted? That sounds exhausting and impossible to me. Can you relate to that? Now again, to be clear, I'm talking about people who've given their lives to Jesus. If you're not a Christian, you're a sinner. But those of us who are Christians, something's different. So what if we now brought online what we saw back in Colossians 1.13, which said that by Jesus we have been redeemed and our sins have been forgiven. That is a something that's complete verse. What did you notice about that verse? What's the tense of those words? Is that future tense? Is it present tense? It's past tense. Past tense. So I'm sure you're sitting there going, Mike, but I may still sin. Well, I'd ask you, how many of your sins were future tense when Jesus went to the cross to make you past tense, redeemed and forgiven? How many of your sins were future tense when Jesus went to the cross to make your sins past tense, redeemed and forgiven? Every single one. And there isn't a sin you'll commit, have committed, will commit, or will commit in the future that Jesus goes, I did not see that one coming. Way to go. Good for you. Surprise. No, he, he knew them all. He had to know them all so that he could take them all. So I'd also ask you, is what Jesus did enough to deal with all your sin and to change who you are? Is, is what he did enough? Is what he did enough to change your core identity? One of the things I've talked a lot about here is if, if I come to minister here, we're going to be dealing with inside-out living. We can play the sin management game on the outside all day long and never touch the stuff that's going on on the inside. But if you really want to change this stuff out here, you work on the inside and let that work itself out. So is what Jesus did enough? Did he do enough to change you from a sinner to a saint? And many of the other things that I mentioned on that Who Am I sheet. Did Jesus do enough? Because I sure don't want to stand up here and say, I'm not sure, I think he... He, I don't think he did enough to cover that one. That's a bit prideful and arrogant. Absolutely, Jesus did more than enough. Not just enough, more than enough than we could ever ask or imagine or think. So we have to address the sin issue, though. And so how do we address that? Well, we first have to start not with process. You can't look at your process and expect that it's 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 not going to give you a right barometer of who you are. Because some days you're going to have bad days and you're going to blow it. Hey, I'm a pastor and I blow it sometimes. Okay? I always love it when people go, oh, you're a pastor, you don't have any problems. I'm like, you got two hours? 
Let's go down and grab a cup of coffee. I'll tell you. I'm a person too. And I have my moments. But see, we can't start with process. We, we have to start with the fact that we've been changed from sinner to saint. Sinner to saint, just like the day of a wedding. Just like the day we walk down and we take those vows. That day changes things. When we gave our lives to Jesus, that day changed things. It changed you. And I don't care how you feel. And I don't care what's going through your head right now. You might be hearing my, there's no possible way that that that, that I've changed. If you gave your life to Jesus, you changed. So if we've changed, that's our starting point. We don't go by process, we go by. Jesus has said that by what he did, I am now, because I gave my life to him, I am a saint. I have been changed, I am now a saint. From here, our process of sinning less will begin to change drastically. Why? Because we won't be trying to get something we don't have. Which is all process alone can ever really offer us. What we'll actually be doing is learning to bring our actions in line with who we've been changed to be. We'll learn to begin to go, I'm a saint. How does a saint live? Does that raise the bar a little bit? I think it does for me. It's a whole lot. It's, it's like if I sit here and tell you you're a sinner, 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 how are you going to live? You're going to live out what you believe you are. But if you go, I step into my day at work tomorrow as a saint, how does a saint now approach my job? How does a saint drive down the highway? How does a saint deal with the person behind the, the counter who's maybe being a little difficult today? It raises the bar. So I know it's probably still going through your head. Is it possible you'll still sin from time to time? Yeah, 100%. But that doesn't mean you're a sinner. That's identity. You're a saint who has sinned. These are subtle differences, but I'm telling you, if they will change how you walk. They will make a, a life available to you that you have never experienced before. Because you'll tap into a root that has been available to you, but you didn't know was available to you. So you're not a sinner. Who you are has changed. But what happened when you sin is you forget who you are. You have a bit of a crazy moment. I mean, if I acted single, everybody would be like, what's wrong with you? You've been married for 25 years to a great lady. Why are you acting like a single guy? Right? That's what I know my brothers would come up to me and say, Mike, what are you doing? You're a married guy. Why are you doing that? That is not who you are. So we forget. Sometimes we sin. We forget who we are. But when you forget who you are in your sin, the first thing you need to do is not run from God. You need to run to God. And in running to God, you know what the first thing he will say is, my son, my daughter, remember that you're a saint. 
Because that's the starting point for change to begin to happen. Because you know what? We actually see this in, in the Corinthians. When Paul, if you, if you know the Corinthian story, and they are like sleeping together, doing all kinds of nasty, like just crazy, sending up a storm. And you'd think the first part of Paul's letters would be, what is wrong with you people? Get your sinning under control. Blah, 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 blah. Right? You know what he starts off with? Holy saints, dearly loved of God. Who are you? Your behavior is not lining up with who you are. Remember who you are. And so if you sin from time to time, you're not a sinner. You've been changed from saint to, from sinner to saint, and now you are a saint who has sinned. And the saintly thing to do would be to deal with that sin. To bring your actions in line by the power of the Spirit which lives inside of you. That's the saintly thing to do. The saintly thing to do is I blew it. I was wrong. I forgot who I was. I was out of line. I choose to go to focus back on who I am, to make whatever, to apologize to whoever I need to apologize, and to turn and go a different direction and live as who I've been changed to be. And so this exercise is helpful. It's helpful in clarifying where we have confusion over being changed versus process. I mean, I'd encourage you, run some of the other areas of your life through this sort of cycle. I mean, run them, run them all. I mean, you can use things like, well, you know, I'm not loved. <laughs> I mean, that's a little bit different. No, you're loved. You're dearly loved of God. But see, process will say, I don't live well, so I'm not loved, I'm not lovable, I'm not worth it. And God goes, I love you, I loved you from the beginning. I care for you beyond measure. We'll deal with this other stuff as we walk together. But as soon as you start going into process and as soon as you start separating from God, or separating, but not tapping in, you're cutting yourself or you're restricting yourself off from the source that gives you the ability to live differently. And so I hope you're seeing as I did how verses that seem to contradict can actually be true at the same time. And for all the note takers in the room, I know that you saw the one big idea and you're like, oh, they forgot to put it in there. <laughs> nope. Here's our one big idea for today. It's true that we're completely changed at the moment of salvation. But it's also true that we enter a process of learning to live as changed people. You see the difference? It's a lot of straining, striving, and effort to come, become something that you can't become in your own strength. Only Jesus can change you. And if he's changed you, he would love for you to just go, thanks for changing me. How do, I now, how do I now live into that person you've made me to be? And you're going to make mistakes. It's okay. But learn to live differently because you are different. I mean, how freeing. How freeing to know that it doesn't have to be one or the other, and particularly the other of process. I mean, I really am praying that today some of you are go walking out of here going, 
there is something completely new running, on, running around under, un, un, inside of me. What do I do with this? Like this? I've got this whole new thing, this whole new life I didn't even know existed. So many people I talk to, they're like, you know, I just would love a whole new life, a whole new existence. Well, you know, when you came to Jesus, you got that. Whether you know it or not, you got that. And so it's freeing. It's freeing to know that it doesn't have to be one or the other, but quite simply, it can be both. You are changed, and you're learning to live as changed people. That would be my encouragement for you this week, to focus on the fact that you've been changed and to learn what it means to live as that changed person. Let's pray. Jesus, this is so simple, yet profound. It's so straightforward, yet so deep. And I know it can step on toes. I know that there is issues. And Father, I know that all the junk, all the things that we were before, all the sin, all the sinner issues, all the failures, all of that stuff before we came to you existed. But when you went to the cross, you dealt with those things. And when we give ourselves to you, we receive the benefits of the work that you did on the cross. And so, Father, I pray for each and every one this week that they will find that they are new, that there is something deep within inside of them that is complete, that has fullness, and that is desiring desperately to work its way out. And that they might get glimpses of that this week, and that might just blow their mind, blow their mind, to see you working in their life in ways they never thought possible. We trust you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.